0: Welcome to the Family Brain with your host, Megan Gibson. The
1: well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy.
2: So I love what you're writing about right now about parenting, and I'm just wondering if you could give me some background on what sort of got you to be talking about issues around, you know, I mean, we have a lot of conversations about helicopter parents and saving our kids and, you know, the benefit of a skinned knee, but what sort of got you to the point of just seeing the importance in this, in, in our parenting journey and helping our kids grow?
1: Yeah. So for me, um, like a lot of things in life, it was, my own personal experience, uh, as a parent. Um, so I work with in my private practice adults. So a lot of them are parents. Um, so for sure, I've been talking about and orbiting around issues of parenting for lots of time in my career. But this essay in particular came out of my own experience, parenting and seeing my child, sort of increasingly rely on a particular type of coping um, that was yielding less and less healthy results for him. And so, you know, like a lot of people, when writing is how you process the world, I sort of took took to the paper to sort my thoughts and feelings out about it. And that was the essay that you're referring to, The Failing to Grow, Why Rescuing Our Kids is Not Helpful.
2: I wish I processed through writing. I think I process through talking, and I just keep talking and talking and talking. But I would love to figure out a way to kind of, you know, bring it down, boil it down.
1: Well, I'd argue this. I'd argue that if that's how you process, then you don't, You right? Like, I mean, if you want to have a side project that you want to write more, that's terrific. And writing is a skill that anybody can learn. So that's terrific. But I don't
2: necessarily think you have to approach it from the lens that your processing method is flawed. Right. Because,
1: you know, you're, I mean, part of why you're doing a podcast, right? And I'm sitting and quietly writing essays, Mm -hmm. is because it expresses to us the mode through which we make meaning of our thoughts, feelings, and experiences. And I think you're doing a terrific job
2: of that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But there's
1: my positive psychology. I know.
2: I love it. I don't don't mind at all. (laughs) Um, you know, it's interesting though, that makes me like sort of circle back to, okay, so if we're we're parenting our kids and we're trying to be respectful of who they are, right, and how they process the world and what the lens through which they're seeing things, where is the balance in that? Like, so we're talking about um, kids and how they, maybe things they lean towards, like what you were writing about was avoiding avoiding exposure to what you, what makes you nervous. Like I have a child who's afraid of elevators. And, um, and I was, and I, I, I don't know where it came from. I don't, I think my dad also was, and there's probably something like a little bit genetic and then a little bit passed on. And, um, but I'm trying to be respectful of how he sees the world and how he's feeling. But I also don't want him to be avoiding elevators for the rest of his life that, that will impair his life, you know? So how do you how do you sort of make a, strike a balance between that between respecting where a child's coming from and and how they're processing things and then how they fall on their own without without intervention? Yeah, it's such a good question. It sort of like gets to the, that gets
1: right to the meat of the matter. Um, so I'll say this: most of the parents I've ever sat with, and it sounds like you. Fall into this category, by the way, most of us do. We know our kids, and you know your kid better than me, right? So, a lot of times, parents just need like slight guidance where they may be inadvertently um, unhelpful. I know for me, when I started really reflecting on my approach with, in this case, my son's tendency to snuggle into avoidance. Um, I was able to see spots where I was like, oh yeah, I can see how that's inadvertently reinforcing the thing you don't want them to do. Um, but I'll just sort of as a blanket, yes, you are right that, um, there is some, I said this in the essay, that it does seem that emotional trends like avoidance run in families. So that leads us to believe and go back to this age-old balance between nature and nurture. And increasingly, nature, so genetics, is being revealed as less pertinent than we used to think. It seems like it's a mechanism where if the environment has the proper set of ingredients that may get unlocked but that it's not a destiny. So you're, you're totally right about that it's some blend of both. And then the other thing about avoidance is that we know that phobias develop as a direct result of avoidance. So avoidance is a prerequisite for phobias. Mm. So if we don't want phobias to develop the magic pill is exposure right so that's really where the crux of your question comes how do i respect that my child is feeling scared and by the way that i teach my child to also at the same time i mean here's the complicated thing we're telling our children to listen to their bodies
2: Mm -hmm. right (laughs) and
1: then we're like yeah but not this time right right this time don't listen to your body right
2: yes so I know my poor scary. son. Whenever we get on an elevator, I'm like, "It's good. It's exposure exposure therapy." And he's like, "Oh, okay. I don't need this right now." You <laughs> know, it's like okay. I'm, I'm okay. almost like wanting him to do the elevator and see the silver lining and like how good of a parent I am, all at the same time. Like, please acknowledge. Way, yeah, he,
1: he will. <laughs> like when he's thirty and has his own kid, or any, however old he becomes, if he has children, he'll understand that you were actually a good parent. Mm-hmm. It's a long arc, right? And. By the time they're, like, 27, you start to really see, like, a lot of these things. This is a long game, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, it's a multi-decade investment we're making in the development of our children. And so the long arc, it will set in, but it's not in the short run, and that's what's frustrating. So, you know, I'll say this about um, your question about sort of where is that fine line. You know, that's a really individual thing, and every parent comes to it on their own. But when it comes to any style of avoidance, I think an approach that balances acknowledging that your child feels that way and letting them know that it's just a feeling and it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and that the feeling doesn't mean you have to avoid it. It just means you may be uncomfortable while you expose yourself to it.
2: Mm-hmm. And then finally, that the feeling of discomfort, everybody feels afraid doing certain things. Right. Well, in, in, in the instance of the elevator, it's nice because it's a short-lived experience. You know, usually you're, you're just going a few totally. floors. My, uh, another one of my children has a fear of sleeping in his own room. We have like loud planes that fly over our house and, um, no, and I don't even notice them, but he does. And that's a hard thing. I mean, the whole night, that's a long time. (laughs) And, uh, it's tricky to figure out. And then, then as a parent, I start to give up because I'm just like, whatever, come sleep on my floor because I just, by that point in the night, I'm just done, you know? know? And so then I'm kind of unpredictable in how I'm handling it. I have new plans for when I move. That that I'm going to be more on top that. of this. I have plans for new Megan, but
1: oh right now God, it's I love pretty it. bad.
2: Well, yes. I'll tell you
1: this: that a statistic that really comforts me is this. It, it's the um, the um, I call it the 300 rule. So it's like in baseball, you know, batters that that if you make contact with the ball 30 percent of the time, you're you're a top hitter. Like you're making millions. You are super valuable, right? In any other arena in life, we learn that that's a failure. That's mm-hmm. an F. And parenting, it seems, is the same exact way. This is not me. I did not discover this realization. I think this research, I forget where it came out of, and I'm loath to make the wrong uh, footnote. But there's this research that parenting follows a very similar pattern, which is that if 30% of the time, You can make contact with the ball. So let's translate that to be that 30% of the time you sort of hit it out of the park and you get everything right. That's good enough parenting. Mm. And the other, here's the super valuable thing. The other 70% of the time, you're just repairing for the, the near misses, right? You're, you know tweaking your approach you're apologizing when you drop the ball you're connecting through you know a mess up right and that 70% of the time is the vast majority of our kids
2: lives
1: mm. and that just was like super comforting to be honest like, Oh those
2: statistics, I can get comfy. Right. We can get behind these. This sounds like it's fair. I was born fair.
1: for a thirty seventy
2: 70 <laughs> oh, I love it. No, but it's so true. It's sometimes you have to just pull back and, you know, look at all the time we're dealing with and yes. how, I mean, how gray a lot of the calls we're making are and we're dealing with, you know, we get tired, we get hungry, we get stressed out, you know, and how, how well we're intervening. It's not going to always be sort of the um, the intellectually appropriate choice, you know?
1: No, and, and remember that resiliency is born in the 70%. Resiliency comes from the periods of time in our life that are hard. Mm. Ego and success and who we think I am, dot, 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 right? That comes from the 30%. But the stuff that you really have to rely on when the sands beneath your feet begin shift comes from that 70%. So the 70% is critical, and it's why rescuing our children constantly becomes a slippery slope, because we atrophy their muscle of resiliency, right. and we don't mean to, Yeah, but it happens
2: well, and, and when and-
1: tons of research right now on the generation of like, I'm a snowflake and I'm super special, the generation that came like right after us, I think, um, and how that is changing their neurobiology, in particular in relation to resiliency, grit, and the, you know, the, that kind of spectrum of behavior.
2: I love this. I, well, this, I cannot even tell you how well-timed this is because we're in the middle of a move. We're pulling our kids out of their school that they've been in for years and they're going to start like mid-year. They're those kids that are just going to show up and people are going to be like, wait, they weren't here Friday. And I was really nervous about it, but I'm really trying to kind of lean into this idea that like this is going to expose them to things they have not had to deal with. They've been in a private school. They've been sort of insulated from a lot of, you know, things and I think it served them well to a point but like anything there's pluses and minuses with with keeping someone protected yeah they're safe but they're not and uh, not safe but you know they're they're in this insulated environment which I think helped me feel safe not necessarily yeah. that it had anything to do with them but it made me feel like the environment was more controllable which turns out to not really totally. it's not even really too, well maybe this I don't know but um so I'm kind of excited to see how they respond. And I don't think it's going to be easy, but I'm kind of hopeful that looking back, like you said, that that the arc is like decades long. It's like a decades long investment. That looking down in life, hopefully they'll look back at this and this will be something that has made them stronger and more resilient. Because um, I know that's the truth for me. Not- I mean, right. when I've moved, I've that I'm stronger. I'm not that nervous about this move because I've done it before. The first time I moved, I was about to have a nervous breakdown, you know? Um, totally. So You're
1: like checking light switches and like labeling every box and like, you, you know, you, you approach it completely different, which right. is really just an ode, which to go back to the earlier point is that that's an ode to exposure. The more you did it, the more you got comfortable with it um, and you realized that you can tolerate the discomfort of chaos. Mm-hmm. And chaos can be translated to the metaphor of how we feel when our entire environment changes. And you're totally right. This will be, for your kids, such an opportunity to understand that there are so many times in life that are just really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And the more you can handle being comfortable with discomfort and find your way, the goal is not to make it pleasant for them. It's to love them and support them through whatever their experience is. And, you know, the vast majority of us rebound from times of chaos and we find our footing again. Right. We really do.
2: I went to this. Um, have you heard of Jen Hatmaker? She's an author. She writes sort of Christian well, to type books. Uh-huh. Um, and she's, she's just a really cool. She's a, a great speaker. I feel like I've learned a lot from her. But I went to hear her speak last night, and given my move, my brain is kind of in overload. I I feel like there's not a lot of space for, like, new information right now. Um, But this was a quote I wrote down that she said, and I thought it was just spot on. She said, denying our pain only short circuits our own transformation. Oh. Wasn't that good?
1: And I have complete, you know that moment where you're like, oh, my God, I am... So envious that my brain did not
2: think of that yeah, sentence. Yeah, it was good. It's so
1: good. I yeah, mean, it just jumped out
2: at me. That really made it past all of your um, your lack of banter. Right. right. I was now. just kind of sitting there, like basically, like about to fall asleep, and she said that, and I was like, and not not because she wasn't wonderful, but just because oh, I just, you're just tired. Bad. Yeah, and I might have had a couple margaritas before I went, so that was another thing. But <laughs> <laughs> but Never. yeah, no, she was great. Well, she went through this whole thing. So she's a Christian writer and um but then she and and she started off with like how to start a Bible study, and you know these things and but she has become pretty outspoken about um supporting the l g b t q plus community, and that was like a big deal and really affected her career and she had a lot of backlash, and so that she was talking about the pain through that, but then kind of connected it to the pain other people you know we all have our own challenge that that is gonna make us more resilient, but that that's sometimes how um she was connecting it to how God speaks into our life is through those painful times, and that's that's like our transformation moment, and you know that we might wish it came in a different package, but oftentimes but it the, doesn't, right, you know, right? I would
1: say almost a hundred percent. Like, you know, I sit with a lot of people that are super highly accomplished, right? And I consider myself highly accomplished, and I can tell you that, like, of all the things that I've done in this life where I feel like, oh wow, like that was a blue ribbon winning moment. None of them have shaped me like the times that I've been in the gutter, Mm -hmm. you know, like truthfully rock bottom has taught me way more than the mountain. Right. Right. And so it really, it really does. And whatever language your listeners speak, right? Like if somebody has a strong sense of faith and that notion that that's God, um, assisting in transformation speaks to them awesome and like if it's more of a spiritual thing that like you know life hands you lessons and you keep getting the same lesson until you learn it that's great and if you're more like I tend to speak sort of neurobiologically right um, then that's terrific but it's a hundred at least my experience at 44 as a therapist and a human is that the times in your life that are really really difficult shape you the most and that we have a lot of influence over how that shapes us we actually know now through the discussion of neuroplasticity we know that old dogs are uniquely primed to learn new tricks so imagine our children they are supple and waiting To just be shaped and sculpted and the most important thing that you're doing as their mom is modeling more than the words that come out of Mm -hmm. your mouth, you're modeling to them through your own deeds and actions, how they will eventually approach change, chaos, instability all the stuff that happens, let's take, for example, just in your mood, right? But when you look at it through this lens, you realize there's a thousand, there's an undetectable number of times in a day
2: that we can really influence how our children start to orbit around difficult situations. And what do you think in the the people you talk to and your observations what holds us back from i mean we can we can say that and we can know that but what do you think holds us back from putting that into practice and sort of allowing we can we can read the statistics that say it's better to let them fall but it's so hard to let them fall sometimes what what is that
1: yeah you know i'm sure it's a myriad of things that probably stem from our own experiences as a child right like i've seen a lot of people who sort of they may have had, uh, they may have had trauma around not feeling supported, and I want to be clear that this essay on um, failing to grow. What I'm not saying is when your children's having a hard time, just you know, tell them to stop being so soft and chin up. And mm. I climbed the hill up both ways, right? Like none of that works. I'm talking about you, you metaphorically and emotionally and literally if they need it, you hold them and their fears. And yet at the same time, you require them to do the things that are difficult. Mm-hmm. You don't, you know, don't bring the backpack to school and they
0: forget their homework, even if it's a huge project.
1: Don't bring lunch if they forget it you know, like I am now trying to be much more mindful. Like I tell my son at nighttime, you know, you should pack your soccer bag for tomorrow at soccer. Um, and if he doesn't do it, I don't make him. And we have shown up to soccer and he doesn't have his soccer gear. And I make him stay at soccer and tell the coach, by the way, he did it twice and has never done it again so far. Yeah. Because, he felt the experience of his coach being like, "Yes, yeah, your responsibility," and right. and it teaches our kids how to take responsibility. See, it stops being that mom didn't tell me to pack my bag, or mom didn't remind me this morning that I had soccer, and it starts to be I forgot, and so you know, I mean, we don't want to like branch into this whole other topic but one of my other favorite things that I wrote about this year was this notion of self-sabotage and so it does get into this larger issue of like yeah when we do see patterns of why we're not quote making changes why is it and there's really tons of reasons and
0: once you start to observe this notion of allowing loving
1: our children supporting them Holding them psychologically, creating structures that can help them start to learn these tasks, but still within that, allowing them to be imperfect. And that means they're gonna have hiccups and they're gonna, you know, they're gonna trip over themselves in this process of learning. Um, so there's tons of tiny ways, just like the little things I just said. And then there's bigger ones, like the scenario that I was in with my, my husband and I were in with our kid, um, related to a soccer. And this experience was really interesting because, you know, he's 10 now. So I made a decision to ask him permission to print this and I allowed him to edit it. So I allowed him to read the blog and initially the blog was different and it was much more specific about like how he handled it when he got to the field. And I don't know if as a reader you can tell, but like, it's just sort of left out kind of what he did when he got to the field. Um, But that's because he edited that out and he really like got to participate in, and initially, he was like, no, I don't want you to publish this. And I wouldn't have published it if he didn't. And it was over a series of days that I, he thought about it and sort of got back to me and gave me changes that he wanted me to make mm. in order to be able to publish this. So even that was a huge learning experience. And, you know, ultimately, this so far, we're like eight weeks out. And I assume that he'll have other... Times where he snuggles into avoidance again um but this time the strategy was helpful because he he
2: really felt bad about his behavior yeah and it
1: was hard to see him suffer
2: and struggle and feel embarrassed and feel you know i mean he said i'm ashamed
1: of myself you know yeah um And it's so hard, but really those are the feelings that he has to feel Mm -hmm. in order to make these critical decisions of like, you know, what kind of little guy do I want to be? Which by the way, that little little guy becomes the man.
2: Right. Well, that's what my son just told me something the other day about he made a bad choice and I talked to him about it and he said Well, now my stomach hurts. And I was like, well, that's an indication to let you know that maybe you need to make a different choice. You know, I mean, that's your body letting you know you don't want to feel this way again. You know, I mean. 100%. And, um, but it is, it's hard to do because you want to, oh, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't don't want your stomach to hurt, but maybe I do. Because again, the decades long investment. I need that in like a cross stitch. This is a decades long investment just to hang in the kitchen. I need
1: it. tattoo because i need it on me at all times
2: yeah because i think we get so uh, caught up in the short short term like well i don't want him to get a bad grade in science so i want him to bring in the homework and i need to remind him remind him remind him because otherwise he's not going to bring it in and it's he's going to get a bad grade yes
1: and this is super important because the research Uh, on intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation hangs on this very moment that you're talking about, this series of moments over these decades. And the, the research is really conclusive. Intrinsic motivators, people who grow up to be motivated inside themselves to achieve their goals. Now, I'm just talking about goals, but as a therapist, I would translate that into self-improvement projects, right? Right people that are motivated when they see something about themselves that they don't like. And that is a fact of life. We bump up against stuff all the time. We're like, I want to change this about myself, you know, whatever it is. Right. And the people that are, um, the most skilled at accessing intrinsic motivation, they have experiences of failing. And they take that failure as an opportunity to do what I call process improvement, right? So, like, when Luke forgot his um, homework assignment, and it was, like, a big assignment, right? And I saw him leaving it. Like, I, I said to him as we walked out the door, have you packed everything in your bags? Yes. Okay. Let's walk out the door. Mm-hmm. I knew he forgot it. And, you know when he came home that night and he's like, and I, you know, I forgot my thing and I, this and I, that. And I said, great, this is an opportunity let's sit down. Where did it fall apart for you? Right. Like, So where did it fall apart and where it fell apart is that I asked you, I mean, you know, he had to come to this, but like, I'm like, I asked you when we um, were walking out the door, did you actually go and look on your desk? He's like, no. I'm like, so maybe the process improvement fell apart that you didn't actually check right when somebody gave you a prompt to help you remember so next time when somebody gives you a prompt they're trying to help you double check yourself Mm -hmm. you know so So, there's just tons of intrinsic motivation comes from this very origin
2: right well, and there's part of me that toys with, I, it's like I get that, but then I toy with the idea of like, oh, you'll get more iPad time if this or if that, and it just seems like I'm setting up all these hoops for them to jump through, and, and what I really want ultimately in the decades-long investment is for them to want it for themselves, right? So like what, it's like basically, motivation. right, exactly. it's like a crutch that I'm providing, 100%. and I'm, I'm saying And that's like for a whole
1: nother, and I loved your thing on the, the tech You had like a tech month Mm
2: -hmm. or
1: tech chunk. I loved it um, because, yeah, I'm in the process of I'm calling it a tech cleanse. But my child has not had any tech in 10 weeks. And it's an we have it's an an unending tech cleanse, mostly because my husband and I have yet to come up with a plan that I feel (laughs) won't put him (laughs) back into the throes of addiction. I know. I know. Watching a junkie. Like, literally watching a junkie detox. I
2: know. I know. Um,
1: so I totally get what you mean. And parenting is super hard. And it's harder now than ever for parents because there is so many temptations that we didn't have. Like, I would have failed out of Georgetown with a smartphone. Yeah. Like, failed out. Like, I would have lost my life to text messaging and social media. There's zero possibility that I would have navigated that and become the person that I am.
2: Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. And that's and that's the hard part. It's like we're trying to teach them it's all this. brutal. Well, even this morning, my kids were having this conversation. And it was just this, like, wake-up moment for me of, like, life is just so different. They were talking about um, – it's actually really funny. They were talking about <laughs> Peppa Pig. And is pet pet, pig a boy or a girl? And one of the kids in the car was like, I'm not sure how pet pet, pig identifies. Is it a he or a she? Maybe we should just call it an it, you know, like this whole thought process around, which is so cool. But like they're, they're thinking of things. I am only really learning about now, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a totally different landscape. And maybe that's always been, as my dad says, since the days of Methuselah, things are different. You know, it's like <laughs> his, his totally. parenting is different than his parents. And, you know, so it's it's not like we're so unique, I don't think, that like, it, but it is hard. It is hard. And it's probably been hard in just lots of different ways. But each time it's, it's something new. And so it, there's not yeah. really a roadmap because it's always changing.
1: Exactly. I guess you're so, you're so right. I guess a better word than that. It's harder than the past is that it's more complex. Mm -hmm. We just have so many more distractions and so many more. um, There are so many more ways in which our children can inadvertently end up making bad decisions.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and without even my sister was telling me her daughter, um did something with the internet and she did because she did not understand what the internet was like she doesn't yeah. get that anybody can see these like it's just and and why would you why why is that a normal thing to know you know what i mean yeah. and i think yeah. so, i was reading some article about how we almost need to be like our child's frontal lobe because they the choices they're making are not based on like a rational thought process around um technology And, and, you know, what adults, adults too. I mean, I know this is my whole other tangent, but, you know, it's, it's, um, it, I think it sort of goes back to the modeling, you know, I mean, I, I could do better at my own text, uh, well, text and tech cleanse, you know, because then people, my kids see what I'm doing and that's what they want to do. Yeah,
1: totally. I mean, it's a hundred percent true and it's you know it is this fine line where like for a career like yours and increasingly for a career like mine that is is i'm increasingly trying to take it out of the therapy
0: room right out of just having the confines of my therapy office so much of our career depends
1: on this i mean we could not have done this as efficiently when our moms were moms right you can see why that Then it was, it was even like, if they wanted to do a podcast, they had to go and like, sit in front of somebody. So like, you'd have to fly to Hawaii to talk to me, or I'd have to fly, you know, and it wasn't realistic for a lot of people who were juggling the demands of in this case, we're just talking about women, like the demands of like, motherhood, and wanting a career. So I have this tremendous gratitude for that. Like you and I are sitting, we are 5,000 miles away and we're having this conversation through a venue that you created in the confines of your home and never, and all through the tech we have. So I have this tremendous gratitude that it is so difficult. And I think as long as parents are being conscious about it, and that's what I think is so great about podcasts like yours and other podcasts as well, that there's just this resource and this emphasis on having discussions around being really conscious as parents and being mindful of the decisions we're making and how that gets translated to our children in modeling and behavior.
2: Yeah, that's great. And you know what, I just had this, thought that maybe that's also why we're so hard on ourselves with our missteps you know is that we're trying to be more mindful and so we're more self-aware of the times we don't really hit the mark but maybe we also just need to be more realistic we're, we're not you know super humans we're we're all human 30, beings 70. doing yeah I love that I think that is one 30, of the best 70. that's one of the best things I've heard in a long time totally
1: <laughs> oh, and that's also sort of some like I've said this before to you, I think, in the last time we chatted that, like, I, I I love positivity. And I think, like, you know, gratitude is a super important thing to reflect. And whether that comes through, like, religion or other spiritual practices or just, like, you know, I try to do high lows with my kid, right, each day. Like, what are you grateful for? What would you change? Those kinds of things. I think it's great and I think it's important, but I also think this emphasis on like forced positivity, like I I cringe when my patients are like, so what do you mean by mindfulness? Should I sit there and try to think positively? I'm like, oh God, please don't do that. Like, please do not try to force your thoughts into a, you know, a scale of either happy or sad. Because I do think that ultimately sets us up to feel bad when we aren't full of gratitude and positivity and we are good when we're seeing that the glass is half full Mm -hmm. and neither of that is true. It just is like we're all doing our best. And most of the things that we're going to screw up for our kids are not first degree, right? Like it was totally on its manslaughter at best. Like it just happened. Like somebody got injured. And, you know, I didn't intend it to be that way. And so, you know, intentions matter. And most of us are doing our best to be super intentional humans.
2: Right now. And I love that. I think that we all need to sort of continually take a little bit of the pressure off ourselves, you know, while, while continuing to stay present, but just, you know, that, that this is not easy. And I think the more to me, what helps me is like, I had a, similar conversation yesterday. Yeah. I need to have a conversation like this every day. And I would encourage people to reach out and talk to the people that they're close with about these things. And sort of because I think when you tell me I need to it's 30, 70, I believe you. But when I just think okay. it for myself by myself, I kind of I I start to think, well, you're just trying to let yourself off the hook or you're you know what I mean? But I think we need yeah, this totally. this community of parenting and parents and friendships to sort of remind us like you're working your butt off and, and and it's not going to be perfect and that's okay. And and, you know, it's just um, that connection point I think is critical for like sort of keeping us aware of, of how we're processing things. Um, Yeah. And, And we always remember that like how you
1: orbit around perfectionism is ultimately the shades and hues that you'll see in your children as they mature and face an ever increasing
0: complex set of demands on them. Right. Yeah. Each stage,
1: like I said, in this essay, each stage prepare, prepares our child for the next. And so, you know, my kid is 10 and I think you have latency age kids too. Um, and you know, the next stage is adolescence and that's an exponential jump. Right. In in, um, Exposure to possible, you know, life changing stuff, right? Start with sex or puberty, drugs, all kinds of things come begin to orbit in our child's sphere around ninth, tenth grade that they only have the coping skills that they developed in the previous stages of
2: development to rely on right and that's what it's starting to get more real to me in that respect you know just that you think it you kind of know it but your kids are still little they're still watching cartoons and you just you feel like it's far off right totally totally (laughs) but then all of a sudden things start to move and it's just um i think you're right i think you're right and i i think the thing that i'm going to really try to remember is this is decades long investment. I love that. I mean, because I do think it's just the trajectory, the arc is long and I think we can get so caught in the day to day, um, product, you know, like the report card or the, did you remember your PE bag? And how does that make me look? If I don't, if you're the kid that doesn't show up with their shoes for PE and, you know, it's just, um, totally. it's, uh, it it's, can be challenging to sort of, and that's where I think other parent connections are important because it can validate, no, you got this. Like you need to leave him there with no shoes because this is this is long run important. Because um, when we're doing it in isolation, you can start to, you know, feel like, what am I doing? My poor child. And what are people going to think? And, you know, that whole thing. And that. it's
1: annoying, like as a parent, right? Like it's annoying when our kids are like, Just like coming in hot all the time, like disheveled with stuff, and like I forgot this and I forgot that. It just sort of wears on us as parents, like, oh my God, you know, like get your stuff together,
2: right? Um,
1: but you know, ultimately, when you can, 30 70,
2: right? Right. You
1: can, if you can identify 30% of the time that you can step back. And just kind of let them find their own way, of course, with, like, love and care, right? Like, you know, I gave my kid a prompt. Are you forgetting any of, you know, have you checked that your bag is packed for the homework scenario, right? Like, that's a loving prompt. Right. Um, But then not rescuing them from there, right? So that can be um, just those little tweaks Mm -hmm. can go a big, big way.
2: What about for the child that doesn't seem to be phased by sort of the natural consequences? You know, like the kid that doesn't bring his soccer stuff and he gets there and the coach is disappointed and he's just like, eh, doesn't really care. Well, that's such a good
1: question. Well, a couple of things, I guess, like if I'm like just sort of thinking off the top of my head. Um, so I'll start with the positive because that's my general <laughs> that's, my, that's where my brain that's where my brain goes um, you know there's a real place in society for the the, reb, the rebel um, and I have empathy for parents that are raising devil they care kind of kids right um, because there is worry right like because we have all these hallmarks that we think these like these things we think our kids need to be doing and displaying in order to be successful in life. And, you know, even, I mean, when you look at like a lot of the mavericks in society that are doing super cool stuff, that's edgy
2: and, um, irreverent Mm -hmm. I'll bet you they were
1: devil may care kind of kids right so I'm gonna say right off the top to any parent um managing and loving a child who shows that kind of style that again most of the time it all turns out all right if you're present and you're there and you're you know you you gotta still parent
2: Mm -hmm.
0: right you
1: gotta try to um you got to try to be attuned to what are the tips. Every character trait has a positive and a negative. So on one side, it's your best asset. You flip that same coin over. It's your biggest liability. Mm-hmm. And so every personality style has a side of the coin where this is probably going to be your kid's dominant feature in their professional life. And probably they will parlay it into something quite remarkable very few become like you know your fear would be to be like hardened criminals who just don't care about like the law or you know right. anything will, right most of the time that doesn't happen yeah. but i will say this there's a percentage because i believe in positive psychology i'm gonna say a small percentage there's a percentage of children where if you're observing that as a parent and you feel that actually their lack of care is from apathy so they've lost the sort of joie de vie that kids have for life. You know that sort of they can get so into something and mm-hmm. they want to belong and they want to um, have a pack. If you think it's apathy, pay attention right. and address it. Address it professionally.
2: Yeah, because that's a good call.
1: Children that are displaying a chronic sense
0: of apathy and that can often show up as sort of withdrawn and don't really care what the
1: consequences are because, you know, who cares when you feel apathetic, Um, then there's a lot of stuff that, of support system like uh, therapy or family work or addressing and tweaking things at school – can make huge changes for those kids. And that's important. We don't wanna mistake that a quality like being having a healthy dose of irreverence, which I really love as a style. You know, like I'm fairly yeah. irreverent, yeah. right? So yeah. like I don't yeah, I, I don't mind that style, right. but we don't want to mistake it and miss that our child is actually on the
2: path to being numb. Right. No, that's smart. I think that's a good, good uh, way to discern. Yeah, what? um, It's funny because I tell people my kids are all like strong leaders. The people you Mm. want like as adults, but as children, it's really tiring. (laughs) You know, super Um,
1: exhausting.
2: But right, but uh, but it is. I mean, like you said, the the arc is long. Um, so I'm just curious if, if there's anything that you wanted to tell me about, um, that I haven't asked you about, if there's anything that I kind of forgot to mention.
1: Um, I mean, no, nothing in particular. And I always love our chats because I think one of the things you do so well is just like engaging in conversation. And I think most people nowadays are really thriving, on that kind of flow of information. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, if, if people are interested, they can go to my website. I'll give a caveat right now because of my own perfectionism it's under construction. So some of the tabs, like if you visit now, please visit again, it will look better soon. I promise. (laughs) Um, but you know, they can go and they can check that out. Um, and, you know, I can sign up for my newsletter and all that jazz. But otherwise, no, I always love connecting with you. And I've thought about you so much because you're in the midst of this move. And we've been back in touch since our last recording.
2: I know. I love this. I keep thinking the people think that are so. regulars, I have this like dream of us all just having some sort of like network show. But it maybe would have to be like a FaceTime network network. I don't know what it would be. Oh, so, be it, please. Right. Wouldn't that be so fun? Please um and i well thank you so much and i love this and i i think we'll have to do this again soon